Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes we achieve outstanding parents, but sometimes we give ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. Let's hope for no failure tonight. My name is Joe Hilliard. I'm joined always by... Dave Gurney. And, oh, shit, it's the OG trio. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, it's damn. Ethan Thompson. Hi. He is wow. back. Thank Guess you for having been. me back. We haven't seen you since Beau Travail. It's been a while. It has been, yeah. It's been a minute. A few months. Hope you're okay. Last time I, I saw you in person, you were about to head off to a Neil Young concert. I did. Which I hope we'll talk about in After Hours. Okay. That's patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast in case you'd like to support us financially and get an extra bonus hour yeah, or so every week. But let's get to the meat of the matter. Well, yeah, let, let's get to beverages in our glasses uh, and what a beverage we have. This is one of those fun weeks because our great friend of the show, uh, loyal listener mm-hmm. and just great guy all around. Meet him on Discord. Absolutely, you should. Um, Daniel Benavidez, he he will often just decide to purge some of his uh, accumulating beer. I love how his, like, every man's trash is another person's treasure. Yeah, but I mean, it's like already treasure to him, and then he gives it out because he gets too much treasure. And he he doesn't want to see it go to waste, and we appreciate it when he gets You're going to hear his name several weeks in a row. Yeah. In this latest batch of bottles that he happened to send our way, he included a couple of these bottles from Weathered Souls. We're doing one in the first half of this episode, mm-hmm. one in the second half. Weathered Souls, great brewery out of San Antonio. They also have another location in North Carolina these days, I think. Uh, Marcus Baskerville, they are starting it. They're sort of probably most renowned in the craft beer world for being the ones that initiated, kind of launched that Black is Beautiful campaign. Yeah, during the pandemic. Right. Fantastic. Um, well, th- this is a beer that they may, and they're known for a wide variety of things, but they do some of these heavier beers. Uh-oh. They do some barrel aging. That's what we got here tonight. What's um, the ABV on this? Hold on. So, yeah, if you, before we even get to the description, this is 14% Ooh, oh, alcohol by volume, uh, described as a barrel aged American barley wine that has been aged in a blend of Weller 12 oh. and Weller OWA barrels Mm -hmm. owa standing for old weller antique okay weller 12 is already kind of like a highly sought after version of the weller bourbon um which is a weeded bourbon Mm -hmm. and on top of that we have this old weller antique which is even more highly sought after. so you have these very hard to find barrels that they're putting this beer into this barley wine it's called barrel aged Hashtag BIL. Okay. Not sure what that stands for exactly here. You you uh, looked and thought maybe brother-in-law. Maybe. But I, you know, who knows? Daniel will probably correct us when, when we get I'll to I'll text that. him right Yeah, now. all right. Um, but nonetheless, we, I got to get this open because 14%, guys, this is going to definitely thirsty. get the conversation flowing, <laughs> whether or not we love the taste. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. I'm three beers in as I went across the street over to B&J's and started talking to the brewer and he like insisted that I try this and that. And it's been a weird day. It's been a, a weird very, day. Oh shoot! I noted this the the on my way here, my first time here. I noted the proximity of that B and J's, and I thought it it's might a be a two minute walk. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm over there. Um, I, I enjoy their food. Sorry, I, I made a mess of this. This is it's one okay. of those uh, wax caps that's just like uh, the wax is dried out, so it's kind uh, of very crumbly. Well, I'm asking Daniel via text what BIL stands for on this uh, amazing beer that he sent us. I say amazing, having not tasted it, but I love a good barley wine. You know, when I think barley wine, 
I'm thinking of that uh, dogfish barley wine that has the uh, caution cap on the oh, top. Oh, yeah. What is it called? That's a good question. I, I, I have to look that one up. Um, See, David, I usually rely on Oh, barley wine is life. That's what it is. It's... it's Barley wine is life. Yes. You know what you yes, figured it out. Yes, I figured it out. It, Daniel has used the hashtag before. I've seen him. Use, he, he used to be quite a barley wine connoisseur. Yeah. Um, as, as many, I think, on a craft beer journey mm-hmm. will find themselves gravitating towards those higher gravity um, It's 110 beers. degrees outside, and this is not the night that I would <laughs> <No>. <laughs> normally enjoy a barley wine. But if you put me at a campfire with a barley wine, I will be content. That high ABV. Yeah, well, the and the nose is very sweet. I mean, I'm getting some booze, but I'm also getting like sweet mm. maltiness, which which is totally appropriate for a barley wine. American barley wines often maybe get a little more aggressive with the hops. Right. Get a little, we'll tilt into the bitterness. We'll see. We actually, d- just to tip our hand here, the second half, we're going to be having their their take on an English barley wine. Okay. So that we, we can kind of compare and contrast. But here with this American one, I think it's going to give us a lot of fuel for the conversation. And that's appropriate because this is a, I think this is going to be a big conversation that we're about to have. It I may seem trivial, but I think it's really important. Is there a thematic tie-in with the barley wine? Well, y- yes. Here on, on, what does it say there, Ethan? I'm, I'm oh, gonna... it says let them sell it. Okay. So, you know. I get it. You, you hold on to these barrel-aged things. You, you you put them in the cellar. They can kind of stick around for a little while. They get better with age, as many things do when they're kept in a mm-hmm. you know subterranean chamber, sure. a cellar, cellar, a basement. Understood. A, right. lo- a lower area. Right. Okay. Probably the most notorious basement in all of film history is Barbarian. <laughs> now it is, yes. But up until then. Up until then, <laughs> I think it still qualifies. On July 30th, 2023, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, passed away. And last week, uh, in, in that same like two-week period, uh, William Friedkin passed away. So last week, we discussed two Friedkin films. This week, we wanted to take an opportunity to give Paul Rubens his due. So our first film this week is Pee Wee's Big Adventure. There's no cellar. There's no basement in the Alamo. That's the title. That's the title. You idiot. 1985. This is Tim Burton's directorial debut. Moments before we started recording, David and I were watching Paul Rubens doing Pee Wee Herman pre like Broadway show or not Broadway. Was Off it Broadway? Well, Off yeah, Broadway like a, yeah. on the dating game. So this yeah. was like 1977. Yeah, he'd, been, he'd been working on this character for years. He had. He made Fast Friends with Phil Hartman, of course, Saturday Night Live fame, uh, when they were in the Groundlings together. And Phil Hartman appears in that off-Broadway show. And does he appear in... I know he appears as a cameo, uh, as in a Big reporter Adventure, yes. in Big and Adventure. And he co-wrote Big Adventure. But was he in... Um, Big the, Top Pee Wee or... No, I'm thinking of uh, Between the Two, the... The, the HBO special? Yeah. The, oh, yeah. He plays Captain Carl. I thought he's, so. He's a huge I thought part so. of it. Yeah. Okay. So, this is... Um, we were looking it up right before we got here. They uh, The Groundlings wanted to do a sketch where every Groundling, which is an improv troupe, right, uh, does a... It's a guy you'd find in a on a uh, comedy club, right? In a Isn't comedy it? club. Yeah. And Pee Wee said, I'm going to do the guy that is never going to be a good comic. <laughs> and that's where he created Pee Wee. Yeah. And then it just snowballed through workshopping, I'm imagining, yeah. through just working on this character into what eventually became an off-Broadway show, which closely resembles, I imagine, the CBS television yeah. series that came after Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Definitely. But in 1985, never have directed a feature film, Tim Burton, 
gets with never starred in the film, although he had appeared in a couple of films. He yeah. was in Cheech and Chong. Couple Cheech and Chong films. Yeah, I mean, so Midnight this, Madness. You can tell he's Blues got, Brothers. He's got gravitas in the community, like in the in the comedy community. Uh, in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Now, I don't think I need to synopsize Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but I will try. <laughs> uh, Pee Wee uh, is a strange man who lives alone with his dog and owns a bicycle that he very much loves. And that bicycle is stolen, we believe, by Francis. Francis did steal the bike. <laughs> and he goes on a cross-country adventure to find his bicycle, leaving behind the woman that loves him, Dottie, but we don't know how he feels about her exactly. And eventually, a uh, Hollywood feature film is made about the adventure that he just had. It takes him to San Antonio, where he learns that the basement, that Alamo has no basement, and where he learns that all you have to do is sing out from the phone booth, the stars at night are big and bright, and there will always in Texas <laughs> be a refrain for you. He is, uh, he meets Simone, who goes off to Paris. Yeah. Um, after he tells her that uh, she shouldn't worry about her big butt. And all of the things that we love and know about Pee-wee's Big Adventure, is that enough of a synopsis? Or does anyone need to care? Does anyone care to give more detail about the film that we have all seen? I hope we all love. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a road movie, but but one that like dabbles in lots of different little genres along the way, I think, and, and takes different things on. Um, We're similarly aged. The film came out in 1985. Tell me the story of going to see Pee-wee's Big Adventure in the theater, which I assume all three of us did when it came out. Well, we're similarly aged, but I do have a, I am a little bit younger than you guys. That's true. And so I am curious because for me, right, August 9th, 1985, I would have been six wow. about to turn seven my birthday is in august we do we just talked about that right so this would have been early august when it came out and i know i went to see this film when it first came out yeah my dad had turned me on to the uh Wee herman character through that hbo special I see, I and also had had me like had recorded i think at least an appearance on letterman he did SNL, but I think that was probably after Big Adventure. I did I didn't look up the date on that. But anyway, so like my dad kind of knew I would get a kick out of this guy, this character that he was seeing pop up on comedy shows, late night comedy mm-hmm. shows, started showing me those. And so when this movie was announced, and it was like, oh my God, I gotta see this character in this film. And it was, I mean, as exciting a movie experience as, as I had had to that date. I mean, it, it was it was something that I knew going into it I was really going to love, is what I'm saying. There had been movies that had wowed me once I got in there and saw them, but few that I had been prepared for in the way that I was when I saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I remember uh, summer of 1985, uh, in, like you said, anticipating this film. So I was 11 years old. And um, yeah, I'm not sure how I knew Pee-wee Herman. Just he was kind of in the culture, I guess. Yeah. And maybe I'd seen him on Letterman one time, but I was pretty, I wasn't a regular watcher of Letterman yeah. at 11 years old yet. Uh, that would be at least when I was 12. Uh, <laughs> but um, I remember anticipating this film and my dad being excited about going to see Pee Wee Herman. And I had this friend I grew up with who my dad said reminded him of Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and, uh, did he so wear a bow tie? He didn't. And in retrospect, I'm not sure what it was, except he's just a little <laughs> odd, a I guess. Odd. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, th- and this friend went with me. I remember going to see it that summer and, you know, it was great. It was hilarious. I do remember, though, getting the... SHIT scared out of me when Large Marge's Large Marge. face oh, yeah. blew up. I remember that being like, oh my God, it mm-hmm. just surprised the hell out of me. Like yeah. I'd never seen anything like that before. 
that was definitely one that was a scene that I looked forward to when once I got a DVD many years later. Like, okay, now I can just like pause, pause. it and see very well with oh, it's clay. Like, okay, yeah. you know, I, I, I can remember doing that with a forehead VCR. I feel I feel like I forehead VCR. I feel like I wasn't willing March. to try it or something. <laughs> yeah, that that maybe I was too scared still at that point. But I certainly watched this on repeat for many years after even just seeing it in the theater, right? This was something that yeah. was on HBO all the time or or at least some cable channel that I had access to. I feel like I was seeing this in regular rotation for many years. I also will say uh, my other big Pee-wee th- tie-in would be uh, when I was fifth grade, that's when we started band and I uh, wanted to play the saxophone because back in the 80s, like – Cool bands had saxophones in sure. them. Some of them, anyway. They, they had like a yeah. Bruce the, the saxophone goes through like work, little yeah. cycles. Yes, you, you get like these sax bands. Okay? The, the, yes. well, I mean the, the Lost Boys his, sax guy. Yeah, I was yeah. the guy right. with his shirt on yeah. Lost Boys. But yeah. I learned how to play tequila, mm-hmm. and to this day, that's probably the only thing I can play by memory on, on the sax. Saxophone. Wow, oh, yeah. get, that was get this man. A I played that a billion <laughs> times because of that tequila scene. Jeez, I was thirteen or twelve. Depend. What, what month did it come out? It was August. 9th. Okay, I was thirteen, and I had no context. And I remember that I had been marketed to go see this movie by television ads or whatever. This looks kooky. Did not know who Tim Burton was. Whatever. Well, nobody did. I, barely anybody. A large Marge scared the shit out of you because it's so <laughs> out of place in the context of the whole film. Right. But B, I fell in love. I mean, like. This is so kooky and weird. And who is this guy? And I didn't have the wherewithal or the show business intelligence to know that this was a character that had been cultivated through some kind of underground scene and got been on Letterman. I didn't know any of that. It was just hilarious. It was just, it was simple and clean, but not <laughs> and fun. You know, I was also into BMX, so there was some cool BMX. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's a, like my favorite scene in uh, ET is you know when they had the BMX. Yeah, sure, yeah. That, yeah, I do that remember now too. that You're right. I do remember having this sense. I'm sure that I came across Pee Wee Herman on a late night comedy show and just being like, "Who the hell? What is, is going on?" Yeah. Kind of like well, Boy George. I, I had I, that kind of reaction to Boy. Like, see, what is I was this person to Boy George planet. when the first uh, Culture Club video came out. Though, yeah. like, I had no context. I for was that. young right. enough that I really did. I, there was a point where it kind of a light bulb went off and I'm like, oh no, this is just a character. But there was definitely a good long period at the beginning where I took Pee Wee Herman as just, this is a person who exists but, in this world. But as a 13 year old who probably ate Mr. T cereal, because that was a product <laughs> of the time. I'm like, yeah. this is an older man who is playing a younger man who is trapped in youth. Yeah. I, I see this, but so are his friends. Francis is trapped in youth. Yeah. Uh, in the bathtub with playing battleships. Yeah. Um, I loved magic shops, so Pee-wee goes to a magic shop to buy his well, new it's, things. Like, it's as I, if adolescence never happens for a young man, right? It's like, what if all of your, you know, fi- fixations, fascinations as a young boy, who's a little bit odd to begin with, but I but I could really understand that, who yeah. isn't interested in sports. Pee-wee doesn't care about sports. No. Pee-wee's not an athlete. Just the Tour de France. magic... <laughs> Um, you know, like kitschy culture, sure. uh, cartoons, yeah. t- stuff that a six, seven year old would be fascinated by. Costumes. And like, 
you just matured by being able to do that on your own. You didn't have to be with your parents anymore, so you had a house. And sure. of course, you would install a pole that you could you'd slide a, down from your bedroom you have to a your big, kitchen. Um, no, this all made perfect oh, totally. logical sense to me. When I get me. up in the morning, I'm going to pull a string, and a record's going to start playing. Uh, of and the course, dog's there's going to be a Rube Goldberg a machine Rube Goldberg, that yeah. is going to create my breakfast for me. Then I'll only eat one bite of sure. because you know whatever but it's fun you know. food i don't care i'm gonna go ride my bike now <laughs> and my, i can remember my mom crying in the theater because of that like the waste on that plate no, you man. know no <laughs> the <pancakes laughs> my mom did not ceiling. like Wee herman by and then dotty who I, like i got the idea that she's attracted to him but he's not attracted to her and she was the hot band yeah. girl well, that's from it. better he's, off dead he is not i mean he's like pre sexual awakening sure person though with an awareness exists there is this i mean that's that's part of the humor of it is like this idea that anytime and it comes through more in the special you know the the stage show that they had done before and it creeps in here and there in the film but not as pronouncedly where there's this interesting line that it walks between him being totally naive and innocent around about sex Mm -hmm. and matters of sexuality but then also kind of knowing pretty well when things are being presented to him. Mm-hmm. So yeah. E.T. comes out when I'm eight, and that blows my goddamn mind. But Henry Thomas is a guy that I know who I met at a Photon, which was a San Antonio-based <laughs> laser tag place. And really? Yeah, I'll tell that story in After Hours. <laughs> it's a good one. But then Henry Thomas appears in a movie called Cloak and Dagger with, with Dabney, Dabney, Dabney Goldman shot in San Antonio, Clearly shot in San Antonio because that's the river walk that my parents have like we yeah. drive up to go to that thing. So all of a sudden, this I didn't know anything about this movie. It is shot in Texas and it's shot in San Antonio. And there's the Alamo, and that's a thing we would do. I mean, did y'all go up to San Antonio? But there's just that one shot of him I, running, running out. Still, no, yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's the postcard of the Alamo, and he drops it, and there's the yeah. Alamo. That's a place I've been, and it's yeah. on this big screen film that I'm watching in Corpus Christi. Yeah, it really was a mind bender. Oh, cool yeah. for a 13 year old yeah. Joe Hilliard. I did not have who that. had a full head of hair. <laughs> I don't want to talk Bright about future ahead of him. I <laughs> Come on. We'll see. Give yourself it, fu- it was fun for me because prior to rewatching this, I watched all the clips on Letterman to see how many of his little bits, you know, are in 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 the the film. integrated into the film in different ways. Well, what did you find out? Well, the break dancing. When he's right before he starts, while he's doing the tequila dance, he says, break dancing. He did a whole bit on Letterman where he was breaking stuff. But there's just a lot of the things. The other thing, I think it resonates with teenage boys because it's all, there's so many, he has so many lines. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is are, a movie what I am, full of quotable lines. All, yeah. Like he has all those things that he goes to. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, I know you are, but what am I? But there's yeah. infinite more than that. Yeah. yeah. I love that story. <laughs> Which yeah. one? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I love that story. When yeah. Francis is telling him, but remember Pee Wee the first time I, I saw, saw your bike? bike? <laughs> I told you I loved it. <laughs> I love that story. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. I, uh, uh, like um, the magic shop was a big scene for yeah. me because there was a magic shop at Potter's Temple's Mall. Not yeah. the good mall, but the shitty mall at the time. Now it's the yeah. good mall and the shitty mall is closed. <laughs> it holds up because. You're happy to see, for me, I'm happy to see the thing that made me so happy. Yeah. I loved it from the first frame. I mean, like, it, 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 it well, they, okay. So they, it's a tight film. It's before a great you see film. anything, you hear Danny Elfman's score yes, for you this do. film, which, I mean, 
he worked with Burton a lot, and and this, I mean, this is the start of that working relationship. Is this that they the first had. one they did together? It's the first feature. I don't of know. If he, I don't know if he did the scores for either of the shorts. Actually, now I'll that you up. say that, um, but this is just an iconic. I, I love score, how how right? it incorporates Psycho and a lot. You know, I was starting to hear all yeah. these other films. Yeah, no, there's definitely reference. There's Western uh, mm-hmm. score stuff that they they get into. That, you know, like he goes to the rodeo and he's like referencing Morricone a little bit. And like mm-hmm. Elfman is is you know an incredible, I think, an incredible film composer and composer in general. Oingo Boingo is worth checking out. What Danny Elfman did, Frankie. Okay, so they had worked a little bit together. But here, matching with, I mean, there's a cartoonishness. He's leaning into, like, the Warner Brothers, the Raymond Scott, mm-hmm. the kind of, like, frenetic, percussive. Yeah. And it's so much fun because every moment of the film is just punctuated. But before you've even seen anything, just the title sequence, which is very uh, restrained. I mean, there's not, no animation or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, you know, the title's on the screen. But you have that manic music coming at you yeah. that tells you okay you're in for something and you open up with that road race and it kind of you know intensifies the drama of this already dramatic kind of scene that's going on in the dream of you got uh, the Pee-wee. large marge clamation you've got the dinosaur eating the bike yeah. later clama- yeah. claymation and a lot of dream sequences just the indication scene at the, the, the lighting <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> the, de- yeah. the desert at with, night when the, he's out there by himself. With that in the brilliant, light. the uh, eyes, you know, the animated eyes in the yeah. dark. I mean, and then they click. Oh. But my All point the being, animals. That, knowing that Beetle- And there's a couple live ones, though. If you look at that, you know, that's one that I've had to go back and look at. And like, oh, yeah, they actually had a lion here. That's a- But yes, there's a lot of taxidermied animals. The, um, the idea that we're seeing Burton in his prime, in his uh, beginning primary stages, stages yeah, of, yeah. of directing- but you can see indications of everywhere he's headed, right? The claymation when it's needed, the yeah. um, big boxy um, dark with li- using lighting yeah. to accentuate that dinosaur eating the bike scene. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a partnership that was perfect for this project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, from what, you know, this was Rubens had the deal. This was. He had had the stage show. It had been incredibly successful in its own right. Got that HBO special made based on it. All the Letterman. So Warner Brothers gave him a deal where they're like, develop a feature film. Well, let's, you know, like, right. And I, and I think they had some different ideas and they worked on some different things. This eventually took shape. I can't remember that the story was something like he was uh, remarking to one of his managers or something about how. Like everybody had a bike on the Warner lot except for him. And like, why didn't he have a bike? And so they got him a nice like custom or vintage bike from the 40s or whatever. And he's like, oh, and and it clicked for him. He's like, oh, the story's got to be, you know, Pee Wee wants his bike back. This is like going to be the. So he writes it and it was him who found Burton. It was him who looked at things and had somebody say like, hey, this Tim Burton guy might be good for you. Showed him Frank and Weenie, showed him Vincent. And he said, yeah, this guy from an art direction standpoint has what I need to turn this into a real movie. Like I, you could work yeah. with anybody and just tell the road movie story here. But think about like, the, the clay worms in Beetlejuice. Are, yeah. Are th- his next film. Yeah. Are yeah three yeah. years after this. Yeah. He's workshopping oh, what sure. he wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think I think this was a fortuitous meeting. Batman a year later. Yeah, fortuitous meeting of two really great creative minds 
in a certain moment where they needed to have each other, right? I don't think Pee-wee's Big Adventure would be the movie it was without Tim Burton, and I don't think that Tim Burton would be the director he is without Pee-wee's Big Adventure as his first film. Seven million dollar budget, twenty million dollars today. That's amazing. Yeah, for what they put up on screen. Maybe you had to pay uh, Morgan Fairchild and <laughs> and, J- and James Brolin. James Brolin, <laughs> I know you, which are. is lovely. Yeah, yeah. But what am I? It's so PW. It all comes together. The guy he meets the um, the Mickey? convict in, yeah. the, in the car, yeah. and then the the turnaround. The <laughs> you said a mouthful. What's <laughs> so much fun? You know those tags on mattresses that say "Do not remove under penalty of law." Yeah, it's it's really good. I uh, have a friend. When Pee Wee passed away, I have a friend. She's a lady. She's I, I've never liked Pee Wee. Don't get it. And I forwarded her Ethan the uh, David Letterman mega mix of all of Pee Wee's um, appearances on his show to her. I think that uh, might bring her around because you don't rely <laughs> on the movies to understand what Pee Wee Herman is. So a few years after Pee Wee Herman comes out, uh, Big, Big Adventure, uh, it com- he comes up and onto CBS uh, morning TV and show. I'm, 13, I'm 14, 15 at that point, yeah. probably a little I'm too old for Saturday that. morning See, cartoons. That, but that I'm, worked really well for me. He yeah. was appointment television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that period of time. Yeah, I agree. It was so good. Yeah, but I think. You know, before we we move on totally from the movie, I I think that the film was the best sort of fullest realization of where you could take that character in terms of all these different scenarios that it put him in. I mean, I like everything that came after. Don't get me wrong. I loved Pee-wee's Playhouse. I watched the, you know, shit out of Pee-wee's Playhouse back in the day. I was every week. Absolutely. But this movie has a vibrancy of its own that i think has to do with it's very it's unpredictable i mean i know every beat of it but when i watch it and that you know just rewatched it a couple days ago to get ready for this i knew everything that was coming but as i was thinking about it i'm like who would have thought to put this scene that who would have thought to like okay now he's in a biker bar okay and now he's at a rodeo okay and now he's you know like at a weird roadside attraction right. where he's you know like all of these things it it works. It makes sense. But you get to see this character in all these different contexts. That's such an out- outsider kind of misfit character that when he's in his own playhouse in his own realm, it kind of all just works and everything's there. But it's fun to see him like bounce off of other sure. characters that shouldn't exist in, you know, a connection with him. Well, and plus you get to see him totally unhinged. And I, cause yeah. I can't, I'm, I mean, you know, when he, uh, tries to kill Francis. Oh yeah. And, uh, and my favorite scene is probably the uh, basement, the scene prepping everybody for the the case and what's going on. Oh, right. Oh. What is this pencil I bought oh, an yeah, hour yeah, before? Yeah, what yeah. does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's just like, he's he's unhinged and just oh, like yeah. crazy mad. And I can't remember, you know, what would justify that in an episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse. No, he's, he's obsessed. He He's like totally driven by this relationship with the bike in a way that makes it. And that's where, you know, I was going to bring up like, you know, Pee Wee is in many ways a sort of a queer icon. Like Pee Wee is a non-normative character. Sure. And we've already talked about his relationship to sexuality and how it doesn't quite fit anything that you know it's like he's kind of asexual but he's also knowingly asexual and 
He's just happy wearing that uh, nice little outfit and driving in the convertible once they get past the cars. Yeah. Remember that moment where he's just like Mickey. Oh, well, Mickey Mickey, rips Mickey's off the, the one who, who looks at him kind of like. smiles. Yeah. No, there's a little, there's <laughs> yes. a little uh, sexual. That, yeah. And they dropped all of that that was clearly in the off Broadway show prior. There was a ton of double entendre. Right. Well, there, there you had Hartman as, adult as uh, Captain Carl pining sure. after this. And there, so there's a lot of double entendre between. Between like him and Missy, but Bond, this they uh, made yeah. like a kids' film. Yeah, but it's not a kids' film. But it is. It totally works. As I mean, it, yeah. that's the beauty of this. It worked so well as a kids' sure. film. It totally was the kids' film I needed at that point in my life, and it still works as an adult film. Now that said, w- what you were sa- talking about with Savannah earlier, it, it is. It, I kind of had a similar experience when I was rewatching this. I said, "Hey, I'm going to put Pee Wee's Big Adventure on tonight." You girls. And my older daughter, she did actually decide to okay, watch great. part of it with me. Yeah. Although she she checked out at a certain point. Mm. She was like, mm, okay. The the younger wasn't even – and I had sh- they had seen it before. They kind of knew. But I don't think they had – it wasn't as important a character for them. No, of course um, not. But you're saying, not. Joe, when you saw it, you had never heard of Pee Wee I, I, I did not no know what I was it. about to see That's outside of a kooky guy I saw on a television commercial. Because I decided I'm film. showing this to my students. I'm I'm going to show it for uh, – well, Screenplay oh, narrative after, after the episode oh, yeah. tonight, you're gonna uh, <laughs> it's, it's I'm showing it next week. And, and what is the context again? Uh, narrative structure because yeah. it's an example, of, you know, a quest film, yeah. and you've got a performer, a comic performer that has all these great little bits. It's and that then or it's a, a great example of, of having I mean, narrative yeah. narrative structure for all those things to take place. And I really, I have no idea. Well, you know, how they're going to react to it. Here's oh, God. My, I want to hear. I the thought know. that came to my mind because the, the, I was, as I was getting ready for this, I read the Wikipedia page on Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I don't know that I had ever bothered to do. And right in its intro. <laughs> in your Wikipedia readings. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, like I look up things I'm not familiar with on Wikipedia, right. something that I grew up with. And I'm just like, I take it for granted. I know what Pee Wee's Big Adventure is, but I was reading it. And one of the first things it talks about is that it is considered a parody of or farce version of the of bicycle thieves which is the italian neorealist film that i have used many times Mm -hmm. to teach narrative structure in a class that you know we've both taught and to me the idea that that came to my mind is oh could i have them watch both of these films and then kind of think about how they sounds like a possible assignment to me i told it uh, sounds like a perfect peewee's big adventure reinscription of (laughs) The bicycle thieves. I, I told two-time guest Roland Alanese that we were doing Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He says, "Have y'all picked the the partner yet?" I yeah. said, "Nope." He goes, "It's bicycle thieves." Uh, he, and I'm like, he, he's "You are a smart dude." He's on that would have been a good. Pick. I was trying to That's think. Did uh, did uh, who was that terrible that we're other doing weird '80s guy? Um, Emo Phillips. Sure. Did he have a movie? <laughs> I don't know. Or, if Emo or uh, Young ever Einstein. Got a movie. Or uh, oh, Yahoo Serious. Yahoo Serious. Oh man, I got, I got to read. I was wondering, like, man. were there Pee Wee Herman clone movies after this? <sighs> that's a great question. I uh, because Weird Al did UHF. I, yeah, that's that, not, okay. Th- we love both of them, so we can't call it a clone. Okay, but it is, and like it a, also, yeah, we, maybe a similar vibe. I mean, in for the sure. sense that Weird Al is a character, I guess right. that makes sense. But I, 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 I think you're right, Joe. UHF was probably easier to make because Big Adventure yes. had done well. It, yeah, and a little uh, offbeat. Yeah, comedy. I, I'm gonna be unhappy if I don't say, "Don't you know 
this is the, the dedicated bar of the Satan's helpers. <laughs> and the whole tequila scene and the idea that he wins. Uh, and, and that is Elvira. Yes, Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra yeah. Peterson. Says, let who, me who, the yeah. one who's let me. Yeah, the one who. Okay. Yeah. 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 Are you sure you let him go? <laughs> Are you sure you let him go? And no! I'm nobody unhappy if I don't say it happens several times in the movie, this like um dreamlike escalation of stakes. So his bike gets stolen. Yeah. And then he sees the clown that he uh, chained <laughs> yeah. his bar. Who his becomes bike an to, evil clown, yeah. right? And he's walking through the mall or wherever he. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just bikes. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah. A, a unicycle. A, a remote control. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not just a bike or a guy uh, on a bike, a businessman on a bike, a mime on a unicycle. That's it. Like it's. I mean, this it happens silly, over and over in this film. Funny character, but this is really escalation of detail oriented. Yeah. Thoughtful filmmaking. That they were in a on. dinosaur, he and Simone looking at the sunset. That's why the dinosaur is the the, right, the right. villain Factors that, that eats his, the bike. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Francis coming back and wanting to take credit for yeah. all of it, and, and and the gum in his mouth is fantastic. But yeah. um, the black gum, and, <laughs> well, and that's Ed Hurley as the, the as the father who is a famous announcer. Sure, get, you know, get, yeah. But then uh, Francis getting on the bike and pushing the wrong button and there's yes. an ejector seat. Oh, yes. Hey, Gene, Mister Herman. <laughs> Mr. P.W. Harmon. <laughs> so good. Uh, I love just watching him. Let's like, just do a thing for five minutes where we just like yeah, start quoting doing, the film. <laughs> so I just, just watching him when he's in the film doing the, the special appearance yeah, yeah, as yeah. a bellhop. And he's, and he's looking so at the camera, awkward and looking and he, at the oh, camera. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. like, beautiful. It's no, perfect. You, you see Great it, it's silent like he, comedy. Yeah. He is actually doing a beautiful job of acting as a non-professional being put in a situation. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. It's it's wonderful. <sighs> oh, did you, have you guys adventure. seen the deleted scenes? The, the, I don't know. No. Where do I find the, those? The magic shop sequence is, what is extended. Okay. Ama- you meet Amazing Larry in there. Okay. You even understand why Amazing Larry has a mohawk later when he wow. shows up in the basement. The the lot chase sequence was much longer originally. Like, and it's long. And I that, mean, it goes I mean, on for like 15, an, 20 another, minutes, but it was almost a half hour long. I another think. example of this escalation of the of the absurdity. Twisted Sister. Yeah. He's shooting Twisted, a video on right, the Warner yeah. Brothers. Right. Right. Warner Brothers recording artist was and Pee Wee Herman. They're making a Godzilla film. And pre this film, Pee Wee Herman was cool enough to land Twisted Sister to be in the film. Like, because Swiss's sister was a big goddamn deal when that thing came out. Oh, I bet you they are Warner Brothers act. Yeah, they were probably on Warner Records. But they would have. Yeah, okay. But regardless, you know. You're going to burn in hell. So good. No evil, don't you feel? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's what we should have paired this with was D. Snyder's film, right? Didn't he make a film back in the 90s? Yeah, nah. No, I'm glad we didn't. But. Let me remind you, as we segue... That Are you there, feeling the 14%? That, that there are people that don't hang with Pee-wee. No. No, I, I, I mentioned my mom was a no... I went to go, like, family viewing situation. We all went to the movie theater. My dad had coaxed me, like, into my Pee-wee fandom. Went to, like, enjoyed it. He got it. He loved the comedy of it. My, my younger brother liked mm-hmm. it. I liked it. Your mom My mom no. was a... He is a total nerd. I don't want right. to like, I you know, just, tur- yeah. Like, What's yeah. what wrong is with him? funny about this total So a titular comedic character that's a guy yeah. that has this other thing, 
What are we doing next? All right. That, that people don't like. All right. Yeah. What are we doing next? All right. What did you, what are we, what are we doing? This is beer is insane. This beer is insane. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. Wow. I'm totally feeling the 14. Yeah, I am now. It, it took, it took a minute to hit. Um, but yeah, barley wine is life. How, how did I, how did I not realize that? Um, barley wine is not my go-to beer. <laughs> but, like I said, I like it in a special, like a perfect situation. You're right. It I is a, it. it's a special occasion beer. Yeah. I think it's great for colder, cli- colder climates. What? <laughs> Here we are in this hot one drinking it, but we're in the air conditioning, so it's not yes, too bad. Thank God for that. Um, th- I do think, you know, just my personal preferences, this is more malty than I typically want a beer to be. Well, a barley wine will lean heavily on it's that gotta, malt. It's got to. That's totally appropriate to style. This is no, no – I think this is a well-executed barley wine. I do too. Hefty barley wine yeah. that has been aged. The bourbon barrels, I think, do bring in a nice kind of complexity alcohol. to the flavor. Yeah. The, the alcohol, but also, you know, like some of the wood notes, some of the kind of uh, like I almost get like a toffee note in there that I think is it blending with the malt. It's all fun. I mean, this is a fun beer to sip on with friends, few ounces, dissect it, sure. talk about your peewee. Doesn't Herman. doesn't taste like whiskey at all, I would no, say. You don't I get, get any whiskey No, I notes. get the notes that you're saying, okay. but I don't. Anyway, I'm sure it's not was, hot and boozy. from what you said, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's good in a good sense. I would say, yeah. like, I would be wondering after hearing that, I really thought like maybe I'm really going to get a sense. American style barley wines have an intense hop bitterness, while English style yes. are, uh, barley wines are typically sweet, rich, and dessert like. And that's what I was saying going into it. I did not get a ton of hop character. Hold here, on, though. let me give another sip. But how is that going to survive in the barrel? I no, it's not hops. It's it's alcohol at this point because it's heated up over the course of our 30 minute or so yeah. conversation. This is. Uh, yeah, the, I never felt like I was eating hops. But this is the American style barley wine. We're doing English style next. 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 Don't go anywhere. All right. We're back and we're moving overseas in a couple different ways because we've gone from the first half of the episode where we were having an American barley wine that had been aged in uh, uh, bourbon barrels to now an English barley wine. I'm excited about this. That has been aged in barrels. Different barrels, though. Okay. Same brewery, Weathered Souls out of San Antonio. Uh, This is their barrel-aged English barley wine in a... Blend of 13-year Buffalo Trace and New Riff single barrel. But this is clearly a series they're doing. Yeah. It's another in that hashtag BIL. Barley okay. wine is barley wine is life. And this one is 14.4%, though. So we've upped the ABV. Damn. We're overseas. And totally appropriate because we're going overseas for this next film. It's the the, the dogfish barley wine I was thinking of is the old school. Okay. Because they it's like Fifteen percent, and they put a caution label on the on the yeah. bottle cap. And I, I typically pick up a four pack of that every year. It's fun to keep around for All that. Right. Like I said, for me, that cold winter night campfire—the opposite of today, basically. Yes. I will say this gold. I wax, wish I had a logger. 
<laughs> I was saying, put some lime. Wow, and salt I, on this, I, thing. this is my time to shine. I bet I, I don't have anything. So I, I mentioned on the first half that that white wax cap that we had on the first bottle was crumbling and kind of falling apart. This gold one on this on this bottle was actually pretty intact. The, okay. the, the wax was nice. Well, I, didn't and, uh, feel, I didn't feel that the white, uh, the, the American style that we had in the first half. No, was I don't think you got oxidized. No. I don't, I don't think it let any air. And I'm just saying that cap was a drier cap. Sure. This is a. Uh, a little, so I'm going to pour some. Pour's kind of the same color, dark, uh, That's amber. a little darker. A little darker? Yeah, maybe. Ooh. Sweet. Ooh, I, well, yeah, sweet, but there's like a, there's something, a note in there, like toast or something, that I'm, like almost like a roasty flavor that I'm oh, not yeah. remembering on the nose on the last one. Not, not like a stout, because it's still got that malty sweetness. There's a funk in there. I don't know about funk. You think funky? I haven't tasted it yet, but all right. I don't taste any funk, but just, I see what you're saying. Th- this smell. Daniel Benavides throws you curveballs. We got to get. Him, we have to get him on the show. I, we have we, to get him on after. I know. Harold said that when he was on the last episode, he's like, you know, you guys got to get Daniel on. And I've asked him. The dude, he's zipper lips. I'm gonna knock him over zipper the head, lips. throw him over my shoulder, <laughs> okay. and wake up at the microphone. We'll, we'll get him. We'll get him. All right. So. We had an extensive conversation, the three of us, on a chat about what to pair with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And we thought about uh, another Pee-wee film, decided not to do that. And then it was like, Chaplin, let's do Chaplin, right? A character. The that, Tramp. Yeah, the one man kind of, but it's this titular Comedian character. Comedian who created a character, sure. carried it through various Why films. Why did you say, let's not do Chaplin, Ethan? You know what? Two reasons. One, there's that, this pathos with Chaplin and for me, even though I obviously he can be really funny, I just like I was like I I really don't want to watch it that like I just think I find Pee Wee so joyful, mm-hmm. truly, yeah. That I was like, no, eh, and Chaplin would be a downer. Some some Chaplin can be, especially later on with the Tramp character. Right? I, I we and we did the Great Dictator. We did. I can't even remember what we paired that with, but we did it a while back, and and so we've done some Chaplin. But I I hear where you're coming from, and you kind of. I don't know, like the the tramp character Jojo Chap- Rabbit. Okay, that that makes perfect sense. What we're good at this, um, <laughs> um, but no, the, you know, episode sixty five. These are, uh, you, you know, it's an iconic film character. It fits that bill. But I hear where you're coming from, Ethan. It doesn't necessarily bespeak joy. There's pathos in there in a way. Um, oh, there's some hilarious, you know. Yeah, yeah there's moments. moments, but but there's almost always yeah. kind of a sentimental, uh, which Pee Wee doesn't really need. Pee Wee doesn't have to do that. No. I mean, and outside of love for your bicycle, what love do you need? Right, and we we talked bicycle. about bicycle. Some other potential characters, right? We 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 talked a little bit about um, Mr. Bean, yeah, as it, Rowan Atkinson, which yeah, has had sense. some films, but you know they. I, I don't know how I feel about those. Someday, maybe we'll we'll tackle that. I do think Mr. Bean is a worthy character. But, um, you know, one that I had thrown out and that Joe had never seen before. Never seen it. Um, was the character of Monsieur Hulot, played by Jacques Tati, over the course of several films um, throughout his career. Jacques Tati, for those who are unfamiliar, French, although I guess Russian in terms of his lineage, but, you know, French comedian who really kind of perfected his craft on the stage, but then brought it to film Mm -hmm. and became sort of renowned as a director, but only really made six feature films in his entire career. Right. 
and didn't really even he's kind of I, what is it? he's one of those tragic figures of cinema where like he had a little bit of success he had good success actually i think in his first decade or so but this film that we're going to talk about today sure. is actually both the film that i think is held on the highest pedestal by critics now and the film that actually kind of did him in in terms of his career and sort of was a failure in its moment something that actually set him back tremendously and Many people would argue never really allowed him to make another great film after that. After the first two were so awesome. Yes. I I mean, according to audiences. Yeah. Because we also talked about doing uh, Inspector Clouseau and maybe like Mm. a Pink Panther film. You know, like that's what we were going for. I just let you guys lead the way. Yeah. And look, I'm going to throw all my credibility out there. I never fucking heard of this dude, these films, this But now that you know the name, you see him on all these lists. You see him. Uh, No doubt. No doubt. The film that we we did, Playtime, was... uh, Top thirty of all British films of all time, or something, uh, you know, the French yeah, films, yeah, yeah. So something like that. And I'm like, well, how do I not know this dude? Well, I have to say, my second reason was I had never seen this film either. Oh, good. Oh, I, good, I, good I'd good. seen some Jacques Tati. I'd seen Monocle. Okay, but not uh, but this not one. this one. And I had read about this recently. I think of all things, maybe Quentin Tarantino talked about it, like influencing oh, wow. maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you can believe that. Because, you know, it's of this moment, 1967, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's about so, modern life yeah. and that moment. And um, so, I was excited uh, to watch it. Having watched it now, I can think of much better films to pair it with. <laughs> okay, so I don't think it's necessarily a good pair for people. I mean, no, maybe I, it's I okay. understand, but let me, let me give help a little me understand synopsis. Help me understand people like me that did not do not know this person understand. This is the third film in a series of this character who like Ace Ventura or... <laughs> It's so hard. It, to no, but I'm saying like Ventura. took France by storm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's the uh, Monsieur Hello. Hello. Right. So 1967, Ethan gave us the year um, is when this actually releases, although the project was long gestating and took him over three years to film. That After was part two of what, big popular boom. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, uh, takes his character, Monsieur Hulot, who is sort of a, even in those earlier films, is somewhat of a, an oddball character Mm -hmm. who doesn't quite fit in, is very old fashioned compared to the modern surroundings that he finds himself around, which kind of is an increasing theme as the film, films go on. Mononcle, it's definitely there. This one, it gets even more intensified. Um, but his films, like as they go on, like, uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, the first feature film using this character. 53. Is very much focused on this character. And it's more, it's closer to a traditional narrative about this character being at a beachside resort. Um, Mononcle gets. Oh, I, I'm sorry, you've seen it? What happens in it? Like he's goofy, he like. Pratt Falls. And, yeah, like, okay. you know, different, like, he gets into a ping pong game, and it turns into, like, kind of a funny scene okay. where, you know, like, there's these little set So, you, we like this character, we like his... Physical comedy. Right, of course. Often with him combating, like, more modern technology okay. in a way that he doesn't quite got understand it, how to it, adapt got to. Got it. It makes sense. Mon intensifies that, where a lot of it is him, like, he's the uncle in the title of that film, who has this uh, sister who has a family that is living in this very modern house. And a lot of the humor of the film is built on him either dealing with their house or getting a job in a factory that his brother-in-law sets him up with, that he's totally ill-equipped and doesn't understand how to work with the machinery, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, This one is set in this kind of ultra-modern quadrant of Paris. Nine years later, 
from the the second right. of these popular yes. films. So Go. it's quite quite a few years after the 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 last one had been out. And he's not even necessarily the main character. No. I mean, he's a recurring character, but there is no real central. It's there's sort of a split interest in him and this uh w- woman who is an American tourist named Barbara who shows up and that's kind of who we first see as she's arriving at the airport and kind of going into Paris. And then there's this kind of sequence of set pieces around the city. It's basically, you know, about a day and a half in this time that this American tourist, American tourist group, and this guy who just kind of happens to be bumbling around Paris at the same time, mm-hmm. happen to interact in this ultra modern section of the city where there are these, you know, sort of glass buildings and uh and, and a new restaurant it really is focused on that one building right yeah the, well the, really one building a, that a has couple, a, night, yeah. a couple of buildings in it, right um i don't know yes but in they constructed those sets i mean part of yeah. why this film is so notorious and and did sink him financially in in many ways is they poured so much money into building these sets huge sets and 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 creating this whole scenario and shot over like I think it was 365 days, not consecutive, wow. but like they had 365 shooting days. So like yeah. literally an entire Which, year of imagine, shooting. Imagine uh, Jim Carrey's power making Ace Ventura 3. <laughs> no, but for real, like they were so popular yeah. that now he can do whatever he wants to do. And this is what he did. Right. I have to say, I it might be a movie I admire more than I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and I just keep thinking about other filmmakers that it reminds me of. Okay. And- Overall, Robert Altman, uh, yeah, there's yeah. that sense of just a day in the life and all these different the characters. The overlapping action, and overlapping action, and uh, audio. Which there isn't, like, there isn't a ton of dialogue, but then when there is dialogue, it tends to be in scenarios where it's multiple different people mm-hmm. talking in different places, and like, who are you paying attention to? Yes. The subtitles definitely direct you a bit. But, but David, talk about the, the other idea. one, though. Go ahead, sorry. Gotta yeah. say the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Please. Hitchcock. Rear window. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. a lot of it is well, like... Well, that, certainly in the apartment scene. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you're yeah. watching like TV well, well, and they're watching TV. Yeah. Set that up. There's like... We talked about vignettes at the beginning of uh, Sorcerer yeah. last week. Yeah. Th- these are like vignettes. It's... This is an abstract film, if I had to say... If I had to describe it. Yeah. It's very abstract. There's no clear narrative throughput. It's just... Let me show you a few things while I consider a philosophical topic right. that is modernization. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's like like it's a snapshot of life in this very sort of modern moment that 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 uh you know he's trying to work through by using this really like character who doesn't belong there, this outsider who is, you know, too old for the surroundings that he's in. Or, or too um, old-fashioned. Yeah. But also this other outsider character, an American tourist, sort of, who's bedazzled, taking in the spectacle right. of modern Europe and, and, and what's going on there. And sort of, like, playing them, but then also kind of connecting them um, as these kind of, like, kindred spirits in these human. Like, they have this, like, nice. So, there is, you know, there's something like character development mm-hmm. that, that you get in there, but it's just a whisper of it. And it's really kind of built around these various set pieces, which, you know, as we begin the airport, this very orderly 
sort of um high for 67 technological airport oh yeah 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 absolutely then going into the office sequence the office building sequence where we have the hulo character actually show up and he's waiting for some amorphous appointment that we have no idea exactly <laughs> what it is that right. he, he needs to do why would this guy even need to be here but sure. the, you know it's just a setup for him to interact it's, with exactly it's a set of furniture and the arrangement of things and i did a little research it's, it's for him to see okay now forget um the hulo character but tati the director's idea of what will become because this is 20 years ahead of time cubicle life in, yeah. in office space right um, or cubicle life at Dynagy or Shell Oil, where I worked in Houston. <laughs> yeah. And he pre-predicted it. Yeah. I don't well, know, and I don't, it was I, beginning. It was, you know, yeah. but he was in seeing France? it. And he's, sure, I think maybe. so. I think this. I mean, yeah. the organization, but, man. But when that you talk about is... this expansive set that he built, that is an impressive goddamn shot. Oh, yeah. Oh, Him yeah. sitting up on the second floor looking down on the cubicles. Right. As far as the eye can see. And watching these workers and how they like both interact, but are also siloed off from one another. And they're like somebody who's trying to get an answer from another one is coming around and actually going to a filing cabinet right next to where that person who's asking for the answer is and pulling it out. I mean, it's this sort of visual comedy or or visualizing the comedy of modern life and the compartmentalization and the ways that like everybody's kind of like both – sort of cordoned off from each other, but also completely in each other's business and also doing the exact same things. I mean, you know, like you're saying, Ethan, you're watching in that apartment sequence, which comes a bit later in the film when it turns to evening and he happens to bump into a guy on the street who knew him from the army, right? He he, he bumps into a couple guys he knew in the army, which we presume <laughs> is World War II, you know, this like for this era that, that would have made sense. Um, and you know, he ends up going into this guy's apartment with him and we're, we end up seeing like for a pretty long stretch, like shots that are showing us mm -hmm. these four different apartments sort of stacked, you know, alongside and atop each other right. and seeing these people like as if they're kind of, they're all looking at TVs that are kind of built into the walls of, of these units. Eight, but it, 18 inch TVs. Right. Which seemed super modern of at course, the time, I'm sure. Right. Like the idea that like you're your screen is kind of flush with your wall. Can you imagine? That would have been like the height yeah. of, of technology at the time. So it seems like they're just kind of looking at each other through the walls of the, you know, because you're not seeing, you're just seeing the window divide. I mean, it's very funny and how they're playing off each other. Uh -huh. I, I hear, I hear where you're coming from. Like this, well, this, no one's told you where we're coming from. Well, no, but Ethan, I, Ethan, I, Ethan kind, kind of tipped like, it okay. and said that he I didn't was, know that it was like, quite the film to pair right. with Pee-wee. And I get that. It's it, Hulo is not a character exactly like Pee-wee. No, no. Though he does have certain tics. But part of it is Hulo and, and the way that Tati makes films is so different. I mean, you watch a film like this. I think the thing that stood out to me first about seeing this and, and Mononcle, I think, is the case. There's almost no use of shots closer than mm -hmm. what yeah. we would call a long shot, which is basically, you know, like where we're seeing a character's entire body. We never get like shots it's that are showing his waist up. No, no, me no There's medium no close ups, even. no medium shots, not even medium long shots, barely long shots. I mean, we're mostly seeing characters that are maybe taking up half the vertical height of the screen at most, interacting with their environment. So much of the comedy here is built on him interacting and other characters too interacting with these environments that are both totally 
you know, like space age and, and sort of like designed for efficiency and yet also kind of inhumane. And well, totally that, one of the gets- things that was interesting, what two things, one, I mean, okay. So it's maybe not a perfect match with Pee Wee, but mm-hmm. I can just imagine like with Chaplin. Yeah. Great. But also Buster Keaton. I think Buster yeah. Keaton is the closest. Yeah. In terms yeah, yeah. Of- but see, hold on before you guys are the film academics. Did Buster Keaton play the same character over and over? The stone face. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he the characters never had the same name, but it was We have not him. done one Buster Keaton movie and no, if we do we, one, we really should. This is one the he's known for doing these like these very But he's not the same dude. Setups. Yeah. He is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because the yeah. tramp is the same character. Right. But yeah. but Buster Keaton, okay. yeah, okay. stone face. Uh, continue. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, I don't know. I'm 14-4, boy. <laughs> yeah. 14-4. Uh, well, you're saying maybe not the greatest film to pair with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Right. Oh, 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 I know what I was saying. This movie is, I mean, 1967. It was interesting for me to watch kind of anthropologically and mm-hmm. just think oh, about. F- I mean, yes. 1968 in Paris, things just go completely. Oh, yeah. Social breakdown, general strikes. Right. There's almost just a, a revolution, you know. Yeah. And this film is so like an idealized modernity. Yeah. That he is kind of interacting with and not yeah. finding. It, it feels almost like I can imagine thinking that he's kind of out step with the culture, except that he is kind of critiquing this very um, – sanitized modern, yeah, yeah. modern world but then i was thinking which was do- chafing people at- yes yeah, absolutely yeah, 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 yeah. but still it's almost like a test limit of you know how perfect yeah, you think it can yeah. be but then peewee is kind of interesting in that there is this sort of um backwards retro feel to it right yeah. like peewee is a like well, he's fascinated he's with culture child- of the 50s exactly yeah, the yeah, bike yeah. and everything yeah. is not 1980s culture no it's 50s culture right it's kind of a Time traveling experiment, right. going back baby and boomer post war adolescent childhood nostalgia, pre-adolescent yeah. childhood, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that like everyone's seen Pee Wee, but no one's seen this. Yeah, know? I mean, okay, in so, a general sense, I mean, I think even to, for most of our listeners, you are absolutely right. But what I mean by that is, it's a difficult like: should you see this movie, or should you yeah. dive into the Tati yeah thing? So it's uh, Hulo uh, going to a building and yeah. seeing um, uh, an old uh, army buddy. Well, no, but seeing like um, the office building, uh, cool futuristic office buildings, and mm-hmm. what do I feel about that? And then it's uh, American tourists coming in, and we see them in a very like clearly overt scene, looking at the Eiffel Tower through the wind, through the reflection in yeah. the window, rather than going to this old relic the actual to go see. Art, yeah, yeah. Rather, I'm going to come to Paris and look at building after building after building after building that is just like the next yeah, one next yeah, to yeah, it yeah. and just like the same one. And did you notice in the travel agency, the posters on the wall? Yeah. Come to Mexico, same building. Yeah. Come really? to Paris, yes. same yeah. building. <laughs> Come to England, same building. So clearly there is a um, criticism here of... Right. You're a tourist. You're just going to see the thing that looks exactly ex- what you... Yes. You're going to goddamn P.F. Yeah. Uh, Chang's <laughs> in the whatever city you land <laughs> in, rather than going to a meal that is fully local and right. authentic. I love that part of this. Yeah. Then they go, okay, so eventually they get to a restaurant where uh, the the um, Hulot character is invited by an old war buddy. Yeah. 
But forget that. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's a restaurant that is opening tonight yeah. and it just got finished being painted and the and tile right. was being laid and looks pretty on the outside, but yeah. but most okay. of the functions of the things are yeah. I'm gonna write down on my notes like asterisk A, because this is where I was in the movie prior to this moment. But in this moment when the restaurant thing started, which is half of the second half of the film basically. Yeah. Something changes, something's different. This is narrative and i really appreciated the entire restaurant sequence uh-huh which was an empty restaurant that is just brand new and it's so brand new that the tile's just been laid and one of the tiles comes up <laughs> off on the maitre d's foot right. and have to go repair that but over the course of like five minutes the restaurant fills up right and a jazz band comes in yeah and that music is awesome yeah and there's an American idiot there who's going to like buy drinks for <laughs> yes, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and uh, Hulot himself is kind of peripheral, you know? Yeah. There's. <laughs> Except he pulls down that entire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the American makes from that the VIP section. <laughs> yeah. I loved. I, I, I didn't like. I loved this part of the movie, the restaurant scene. Yeah. As a standalone film, this stands up as a fantastic little thing. But. There's a scene where they're trying to get this newfangled air conditioner to blow. Yeah. And they pull a hidden door uh, off of a thing. And yeah. You know, it looks like Batman's cave, all the lights and dials, and they're trying to figure it out. And they get the air conditioner blowing, and they cut to these, like, um, elite French men and women and the air, the air conditioner's hitting this lady in the back. That yeah. really, and her fat, really got her, me too. Her fat, her yes. back fat's rippling. Yeah. And she's just ignoring it. God damn, was that a f- that was so funny? <laughs> there were so I'd many funny before, things sure. in that uh, restaurant scene. <laughs> and, and I'm going to get back to Astroscape. So I had seen these films. I had seen this. I had seen Mon Oncle. I had seen uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. Maybe I'd seen Jordafet, which doesn't have the Hulot character. It's it's the first feature he made where he's kind of playing an anonymous postal worker guy on you know delivering letters on a bike and. I had the opportunity, though, like a few years after that, seeing these come out on DVD and me getting to see these as part of the Criterion Collection, they were being shown. I saw this one at the Music Box Theater in Chicago, and it was this was shot on 70 millimeter. Right. They, they showed it it's on gorgeous. 70 millimeter. Oh, my gosh. And it was, you know, huge. This is like an old movie house yeah. with huge screen. And seeing this film on a big screen – projected nice beautiful print makes it, it was like night and day it unlocked this movie in ways like i liked the movie before that yeah but after seeing it then it just totally because there's so much going on like i said this thing is shot in like extreme long shots you're seeing these characters in these like big you know sort of spaces that they're inhabiting whether it be this modern restaurant or the office building or the airport or or, or you know again the traffic circle at the end and you're seeing it and there's so much going on right especially once that restaurant scene gets really cooking and you have all these different you know figures in different points of the screen like kind of doing these things that are all kind of almost playing off each other there, there is such. I understand why this film took him so long to make. Like choreographing this, getting this all to work out the way he did. This takes a kind of dedication and a kind of approach to filmmaking that very few people are ever allowed to do. Like it is an anomaly that he got to make this film because, he, as Joe pointed out, he had okay. had the success with these prior films. He had the money. He decided 
I'm just going to go all in on this kind of vision of how to make comedy about but, our modern lives. But what I read to modernize it, it was like as if Jim Carrey said, I'm tired of playing Ace Ventura as the lead band. He'll just pop in right. every let's, once in let's a while. Let's have him be more like a... And then the audience goes to see Ace Ventura 3, but yeah. he's barely in the film right. or he's not, you know. I mean, he's there, but I've heard I've heard the same thing. That, right. that, that this was a disappointment for French audiences, especially Who wanted because a thing. they thought yeah. this was going to be the next Monsieur Hulot film. Yeah. Well, let me talk about Astrosque. So, before the restaurant scene, and I think Ethan and I used to do a podcast together called The Movie Hour. We'll talk Wait. about that in, um, <laughs> in After, after Hours, hours yeah. cuz Seth Kaler's on his way over. Ooh. So, Ooh. Oh, are shit. we going to have that kind of Shit's After Hours? To go <laughs> down. Anyway. <laughs> so, I know Ethan's like cues. I was bored. Triggers. To, I was bored to tears with you this movie. Triggers. I was you were bored, bored to, to tears with this oh. movie. I felt like a um, I don't deserve my professional movie reviewer license because I'm not liking this thing that's on these lists. But then the restaurant scene happened, and then I did a little research, and now I'm looking forward to watching it again. I may even watch some of those you know, Ace Ventura one, Ace Ventura yeah. two for this guy. But this movie, why does he keep coming up? I don't understand. He's just like a com- a, a comic oh, character. Yeah, okay. You're not literally. Yeah. Oh, you don't I, literally com- mean Ace Ventura. No, no, no. Okay. I'm comparing okay. Hulo to the Ace Ventura of. But of you're gonna France when you say you want to watch the other Hulo movies. Yeah, not, correct. Okay, thank God. Okay, uh, if y'all want to turn on some Ace Ventura, but we're done, I'll do it because I like Ace Ventura <laughs> and Ace Ventura too. Any movie I was bored. I was bored. I was bored. It was yeah. tedious. I get it. Uh, I fe- it felt um, old. It felt it felt like no 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 but, you're but, right no, here's I, it, but yeah. so does Vertigo to many many people yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah, like yeah. so it's like am I falling into the trap of this is just so out of my context that I don't it, it's going to be Pee Wee to my friend who just yeah. didn't get Pee Wee yeah like right. I, I I mean honestly I don't know if I would recommend this here we've had a great conversation about it but I didn't have a lot of fun watching it either and I was really looking forward to it. I, swear, I, would, this, I really. I, I feel. Are like, you following me with the restaurant scene? Was yeah, that, yeah, was yeah. That, no, I didn't. Because, I enjoyed that because there were bits in the restaurant scene that were set up, and the setups were so goddamn long. They were long, but then when they finally came back around, they hit hard. Yeah, and then the, when the restaurant goes into full chaos, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you feel the same way? I did. I mean, I I I liked it from a distance appreciation. I have to say, the yeah. same with watching the four apartments. You know, the See, art of it did not was hit, impressive to that me. That did not hit me at all. Though. But I, it wasn't, it's not an enthralling film. <laughs> it's not well, like you're I like, understand that. I understand yeah. that. I, I think I, I, I wondered it, if yeah. it was because the technology, we've leapfrogged what he predicted and have gone past it. You follow what I'm saying? If you think about right. 1967, he can't imagine a flat screen plasma TV. He can't imagine right. the but internet. But I think the overall the, like sterile environment. Yes. You know, like, like he said, the cubicles. It's still true. The yeah. cubicles these days don't have doors all the way down, but right. they're pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I hear where you're coming from. I think I, I just feel like you need to be in the right frame of mind to appreciate these. And I say that, and when I say the right frame of mind, I mean a more uh, cinematic frame of mind in the sense that, like, you're in a darkened theater, you're going to yeah. focus on it, you're going to, like, these are films that benefit from undivided Yeah, but attention. no one listening right now has that opportunity. No, I'm not saying they do, but I'm, but, but I am, 
Definitely. You can do the be- your best. To you can do your it. best, but also I'm saying this is one of those films where, and and I feel this way about the other Hulot films that if we got the chance to do a beer in a movie screening at the oh, Alamo Draft cool. House, doing one of these films, I think it would change your entire perspective on this to see how, how many Hulot this. films are there. So th- there's feature length. There there's this one. There's two before it. There's at least one after it, and then I think there's one that kind. Of, there's a short film maybe where he used that character. So have you seen all of them? I've seen all. Of Is them. this your? Which one's your favorite? Um, it's probably this one. I re- I really do love this film. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for indulging me, guys. No, I, no, 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 no. no. So did you did you feel better up. about yourself after that strong scene? Because you were worrying, you were feeling bad that you didn't have any cred, and you're like, no, no, I'm no, not good it, enough to talk it, about uh, movies. Okay, so what's the scene after the restaurant scene? There are two, and one of them is Hugh Lowe is now with the American girl. Mm -hmm. Are they flirting? I can't figure it out. Kind of, yeah. And he's going to buy, she's about to go off on the bus back to the airport, which is now bringing the entire film full circle, which I feel good about. And they go into a uh, modern day, quote unquote, supermarket in France where he gets a, where they have not only, um, okay, at the HEB where we live. (laughs) They're selling cow rugs, and there is a brand new, the H-E-B Plus, like they are, our grocery store, yeah. where I buy milk oh, yeah. and cookies. You can get a cow rug, like you, a cow hide. A cow hide, and you can also get a, a, a full boutique, like earrings and candles and, you know. To put on the rugs? Yeah. So, I, what my point is, Hulot was ahead of his time, because now we're seeing a that, French. That's one of my favorite moments, actually, where the guy won't one? let... The guy won't let him just walk out. He has to go through the little the turnstile. turnstile. And then and he has the gone through a turnstile that, made of uh, yeah. utensils. I like the thresholds in this movie. Yeah. That and the, yeah. the, the door that gets broken. Yeah. That guy just holds the handle. Yeah. Glass door gets broken. So he just holds a handle and acts like it's a door. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of fun. There's yeah. a lot of fun in this film. Uh, uh, but when you hear that this film you're about to watch is the top 30 film ever made and whatever. I, mean, <laughs> I, I guess I need more Hulot. And before I started recording, I, I was like, about, "Yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, this yeah, guy." Yeah. No, it's I, I. Again, I think it's mindset. I think it's you can't go in thinking this is going to be a juicy Ace Ventura laugh a minute, <laughs> horrible, like coming up yeah. with these. Like, like you can't, you can't, you can't even think this is going to be a Pee Wee Herman where like there's oh, going to be all these funny retorts. It's going to be more. You just sit there. And kind of experience the space, look at it, and there's going to be these weird kind of things that kind of happen as all this stuff is unfolding. And then you're going to see these fun, like you said, like there are these really long setups that will pay off eventually. Yeah. If you just keep watching, you're going to end up seeing the culmination of this person. I, I think that I got disassociated from the okay. So the second vignette, third maybe, is him in a high tech trade show. Yeah. But nothing there was high tech. It's all been No, and and he's already like interacted with most of it. Yeah. The silent door bit does eventually yeah. pay off. It does eventually yeah. pay yeah. off, but it's I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I, I enjoyed it and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take my medicine and, and eat and watch some more <laughs> Hulo films. Oh, I am I, I wanna to I wanna that. get one on a big screen for us. At some I, point. I've long wanted to do a difficult films festival. Okay. Where you know you just everyone gets together and like Would you put this on the list? We're gonna sit I mean, I think maybe. it would be good, like, watch a truly difficult film, like watch Weekend, maybe. Ooh, yeah. And then this yeah. would be like just 
dessert. Right? It would be, yeah. Compared to like compared to that to weekend, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. And everyone's there. They know. Look, we're not getting this. We're doing dessert, this, but we're going to drink a little bit. <laughs> my son's favorite. It'll be good for us. My son's favorite artist is the weekend. So, <laughs> and then we could have him play. Are talking about something different. All right. <laughs> that would be great if the weekend had done a remake of the weekend instead of the idol. But okay. yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so. Joe, uh, we're talking about a beer here. I'm recommending recommending that you do see this film. Okay. But but know what you're getting into and know that there's a little bit of medicine to it. Yeah. But there's there is it is funny. Our, and our, if you like, like mid century modernism and modern design oh, and totally. like there's the, the production design, there. you can yeah. really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can enjoy a barley wine, mm-hmm. when it's an American barley wine that's aged in a couple different versions of Weller barrels. Can you enjoy an English barley wine that's been aged in Buffalo Trace and New Riff single barrel? I feel like you can. I, I actually I think, think so. I prefer this one Me over too. the first one. You know, we were saying there was kind of a... I, I'm trying to remember how we described it when we were getting the the nose on it, uh, but there was something a little bit different, and and I think that here instead of that kind of, uh, I feel like the first one was a little maltier. Yeah. Here, this one, the malt is a little more balanced. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little bit more of the barrel character. It's it's sort of a a a, a more it's like a smoother flavor. There's not as any sort of competing notes in there as I was getting in the mm-hmm. first one. I just think this one kind of comes in and, and sort of coheres into something in a way that the first one didn't quite do for me. I'm really impressed with this. Either one of them I'll take. Mm. I kind of yeah. agree with you. This one, I don't know if I want to say less complex because that suggests I maybe don't like yeah, it as no, much, they, but, but there's not less like complicated. Com- co- yeah. You know, yeah. Competing. Right. Right. No, like, that's good. Complex, but not complicated. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, fan, I'm, I'm fans of both styles. For sure. And I'm happy for them that they put out something. How many years ago was this? That they that this was bottled? Yeah, when was this bottled? Because, Gosh, I mean, I don't know. these are... Daniel will tell us. Now we're in a situation where you can see the, the latest T film by going on Amazon Prime or whatever, right. uh, Apple, whatever, to buy it. You're not going to be able to get your hands on this. We're the elite. And I enjoy <laughs> being the elite. And I'm telling you, tonight was a fantastic beer drinking experience. But it wasn't just the high ABV, which yeah. I'm very happy about. Yeah. And Seth Kaler just showed up. So we're going to have a fantastic after That's hours. exciting. That's exciting. But it's more about like both of these flavors are fantastic. And seeing the American and the English next to one another has been a fulfilling experience. Yeah. Complete all the way around. We had an American film. We've had a European film. Yeah. Barley wine is life. Good comedy is life. God, this podcast is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Pee Wee, uh, Jacques Tati, all all of it rolled into uh, a Why don't you marry it, Joe? Why don't you? I feel like I have. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to marry it, folks (laughs) Listen Do I do the What do I do? Because you did the intro You do the the, social media stuff And then I'm going to do the quote I'm doing the quote You want me to do the social media stuff? Yeah We're on social media we're on social media. We're on social media. We got the podcasts and we've got the, the place where you're <laughs> we listening the to the podcast. We get the, yeah. And while you're at the place where you're listening to the podcast, I use Apple, I use uh, Google Podcasts. What do you use? 
I use Apple. Okay, so while I was at Google Podcasts, I'm sure while you were at Apple, I go and I go five stars. Yeah. Because that helps us, right? Yeah, yeah. Gets the word out for what the podcast is to the people that want to see. Helps you. It builds a community. And movies. Like, totally. Yeah. Then you go to Discord. That's step two. Because then you meet the other people that really enjoy the yeah. show. And you become really fast friends with them. And you find out about, like, their lives. Yeah. Then you go to patreon.com slash beard and movie. And then step four, you go to beardamoviepodcast.com yep. and you buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug and you are a complete individual. This is a plan for world domination that you've just laid out. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're on step one, get to step two. If you're on step three, get to step four, the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe. And here's the thing. What's, the, what's my last line? I'm <laughs> dude, I'm drunk. I'm not going to kid you. I'm not going to fuck with you, dude. I feel really good. What is my last line before I kick off to you? Oh, and until next time. <laughs> you don't want a guy. You <laughs> Hold on, take two. Until next time. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner. A, a rebel. rebel. <laughs> 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 <laughs>